What is a toxic person and how do you deal with them? All this and more on today's episode of Music Therapy. everybody. Welcome to Music Therapy. I'm Jessica Risker. I'm a musician based here in Chicago, Illinois, and I'm also a licensed clinical professional counselor. Music Therapy is a mental health podcast for musicians and music fans. We talk about all kinds of issues that are relevant to musicians and creative people, whether that's mental health issues, the creative process, trying to figure out how to make music an important part of your life or pursuing a music career, and lots, lots more. You can listen to past episodes and learn about upcoming events at musictherapypodcast.com. Please leave us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts. That helps us out so much. Appreciate everybody who has done that for us. And uh, let me share a couple of events before I get into today's episode. So I'm actually playing a show at The Empty Bottle. That's on Monday, May 2nd. It's a free Monday, playing with Old Joy and playing with the full band, some of the new stuff that we've been working on. Come on out to the bottle this Monday and say hi. Um, We're also having our next group session on Wednesday, May 11th. That's at Cafe Mustache with Chicago band Boo Baby. Boo Baby is a great band who are also a bunch of comedians. And it's going to be fun, I think, to talk with these guys and um, just see what they have to say. So come on out. That's on May 11th. I'm sure I'll be reminding you about that um, in the next couple episodes before the show. I hope you guys have been doing well. Today, I wanted to do an episode on toxic people. I had a couple run-ins with people that left me feeling confused recently and was kind of thinking about this phrase, toxic people. It's not, you know, as a therapist, this isn't a clinical phrase. Therapists don't really, it's not that we don't use the phrase, but it's not there's not an official definition for what a toxic person is. It's not a diagnosis, but we use it all the time um, in our culture. We talk about toxic people, toxic workplaces, toxic relationships. And I really wanted to dig into what are we meaning exactly when we're using that term toxic. So I asked another therapist, Lynn Zachary, um, to join me on this episode. And we really get into what do we mean when we say toxic people and how do you deal with somebody who might fit this description? Let me tell you a little bit about Lynn. Lynn, uh, Lynn Zachary is a licensed clinical social worker. Um, she works as a therapist in the Chicago area with children, adolescents, adults, and families on many issues, including anxiety, depression, life transitions, goal setting, family dysfunction, and lots of other issues. And you can go to our show notes at musictherapypodcast.com if you're interested in working with Lynn or anybody at her practice. I'm going to link to her practice website. Before I turn to my conversation with Lynn, I wanted to add a little music to this episode since I'm not interviewing a musician. I'll feature one of my own songs. This is an older song. This is a song I recorded by myself at home when I was trying to figure out how to record things. Um, And you can kind of hear that, but I still like the song. This is called Empty Life. I never know what 
Okay, that was my song, Empty Life. You can find that on Spotify. Um, and let's turn now to my conversation with Lynn Zachary on toxic people and how to deal with them. Lynn, thank you so much for being here today. Hi, nice to be here. Thank you. So um, today I really wanted to talk about toxic people and that's a term that we use all the time kind of in our society, but it's not really a clinical term. We don't diagnose somebody as a toxic person, but it's a really commonplace phrase that we use in our culture, whether it's a toxic person, a toxic relationship, a toxic workplace. And I wanted to take some time today just to better understand what is a toxic person? What does that mean exactly, that phrase? How can we understand that we might be dealing with that sort of a situation or person? And what do we do about it? So go ahead. Yeah, and I think that's it's a good question because like you're right, you don't there's not criteria that's met. You know, if you follow five of these seven things and you are diagnosed as toxic. And I think that mostly it's probably a term we would use based on someone's behaviors. You know, as a therapist, we're always looking at like, well, why are the behaviors the way they are? What's going on underneath it? But when you're in the moment with somebody who would be perhaps called toxic, you're you're going off of their behaviors, maybe what they're saying, what they're doing, but probably what it comes down to even more is how they're making you feel. So I would say that someone who is toxic is making many people probably feel the same way as they're making you feel. Um, they're perhaps, you know, mean, but if they were just a mean, bad person, then you say they're a mean, bad person. You don't say they're toxic. Toxicity is like more of that confusing thing where you thought they were a friend, but they're in fact a foe. <laughs> um, and it's kind of dealing with that whole confusing thing before you get to the realization that, oh, they're toxic. So you said before that when we're we're talking about a toxic person, we're really looking at their behaviors. Is there a certain a certain set of behaviors that might be really common that a toxic person would exhibit? Yeah, I, you know, that can be different. I would think based on the the level of toxicity, you know, sometimes people are just sarcastic with you, but not in a funny way. Like, or they make a comment like, ah, uh-huh, you got your hair cut. Yeah. Oh, did, do you think that was a good idea? You know, that sort of a subtle, mean <laughs> comment. Um, those would be the, maybe the basic things, but then there's also the ones that are, um, well, how far did you run? How fast were you running? You know, all of those kind of questions. It makes you feel like someone's competitive if they're perhaps a runner or um, the the more maybe draining type of toxic person would be challenging your thoughts and your, your insights or your opinions all the time and making you question yourself. And I think that is probably where most people would say, you know, instead like, oh, they're really competitive with me, or I don't really like their sense of humor. But when you get to that word toxic, it's, 
it is exhausting talking to that person. I'm always defensive. I'm always protecting my own views and my own opinions. And I don't not, I do not like how those conversations go. So that's really interesting. You know, you're saying that a huge measure is how it makes you feel. Yeah, I was thinking that a lot when we were saying we're going to talk about toxic people. And I was like, it always comes back to, you know, how they're how they're making me reactive, you know, versus you, you know, like maybe a president is toxic. Sure. But also the president's stirring something up in you. <laughs> so let's see how. Here's a question I have. I, uh, I'm i not going to say too much. So uh, recently, I usually, I feel like I have mostly really healthy relationships in my life, which is great. Um, but recently encountered some people that they did really confuse me. Their behaviors really confused me. I got in my head, what did I do? Did I do something wrong here? And how do you, you know, if you're dealing with somebody who, when you were describing the behaviors, it was like kind of somebody who... I was thinking that either they're very indirect with their communication or very passively aggressive, um, or maybe they're really just focused on their experience, but not really thinking about how you're going to feel if they talk about what your hair looks like or how you play guitar, or even, you know, thinking about this being a podcast for musicians and, and music fans, you know, if, if a band member, if you're bringing ideas to your band mm-hmm. and they're not you know, they're having certain reactions to them. How do you know that they can be very confusing, but how do you know that it's them and it's not you? How can you make that yeah. distinction? Cause we don't want to not assume responsibility for our own partner relationship. Right. And absolutely people can disagree with your ideas or they cannot like them and they don't have to be a toxic person just because they're not going along with your idea. Right. So is that person still, you know, celebrating you for, having an idea? Is that person still respecting you because you brought up the idea? Or no matter what your idea was, that person was not going to let you have your moment of glory and they were going to shut you down. Um, that's sort of the the part about how it makes you feel. Again, they can say, eh, I don't know, I'm not really feeling that to you know their bandmate, but they can also say that in a really nice way versus I don't know why you would even come up with that idea. You know what we're trying to do and you're always sabotaging it. (laughs) You know, there's different ways to shoot an an idea down. Right. So kind of the way that you're communicating and maybe somebody's capacity to realize your own feelings or whoever you're talking to is important and present too. Yeah. I think if you can predict someone's response, even if it's positive or negative, then they're probably a consistent person and I wouldn't call them necessarily toxic unless you can predict that they're going to be, you know, a passive aggressive response all the time. But if they're just sort of predictable and consistent in a kind and respectful way, then if you feel reactive to them that one off time, then yeah, that maybe might be you. That might be your own ego that was a little bit hurt. Got it. Okay. Um, Can toxic people be inconsistent? Can they sometimes be nice and sometimes cause a lot of harm. The only way you're going to be affected by a toxic person is if you kind of let them in first, right? You have to trust them enough to let them hurt you. (laughs) Um, I think a little bit, you know, to even take what they say to heart. 
you know, if, if you saw, um, you know, if you had an interaction with another driver, you might be frustrated and angry, but you're not going to call them toxic. You might call them other names, but they, they couldn't really hurt your feelings, (laughs) but I think a toxic person can hurt your feelings and that's where it gets all vulnerable and icky. Do you feel like culturally we are using the term toxic person, um, appropriately? Do you think we're overusing the term? You know, in a therapy office, I'm not a big fan of just writing people off as toxic. I like to figure out why they're toxic and why in the world did you choose this person to be in a relationship with? You know, what's what did that mean to you? You know, um, why are you choosing it? I think um, something that really um, resonates with a lot of people is we tend to choose things that are familiar and familiar can be unhealthy a lot. So if you had perhaps a parent who was an alcoholic and they were not consistent because some days they were, you know, sure, grab a snack. And other days it was, what the fuck are you doing? I don't know if I'm allowed to swear in here, (laughs) but um, (laughs) you know, what are you doing? Um, You know that we're having dinner soon. Um, You know, then you sort of, expect people to treat you this way of, I don't know what I'm getting with the simple acts I'm doing. And so then you choose other people in your life that are familiar to those behaviors. And so consistently finding that, you know, people don't make sense and they're going to shut you down unexpectedly is I think more of the thing to explore versus whether or not that word toxic applies. So I, I hear a couple things there. One is that some people may find themselves repeatedly. Well, first of all, they may not know that they're dealing with unhealthy people that that may need to be pointed out to them um, because it may be so familiar and they may be just so used to it that they don't necessarily have the words to, to give it a name and and their feelings validated. And the other thing that I'm hearing is that If you're a person who feels like, hey, I think I have a pattern of having toxic people in my life, like all of my partners seem to end up toxic, my friendships seem to end up toxic, then it's probably good for you to go get a little support with figuring out why that might be. Do you, like you're saying, have a history of just being, that's the norm. That's how I have been used to being treated. And so that's kind of yeah, you could even sabotage a healthy relationship in that way by, um, you know, pushing people over the edge to the point where you get to then call them toxic again. Um, you know, some, you know, kind relationships where you're the one saying that's not what you said or you promised or you're always late or whatever it is. And you're pushing, pushing, pushing till the point where you Yep. Self-fulfilling prophecy. They left me too. Um, And so you don't even realize that you yourself are being toxic because you're so used to other people not being there for you. Does that make sense? Yeah. And actually, let me ask a little bit more about that because that, that again goes along with, I think, some of the confusion you can feel um, when dealing with somebody who's toxic because it's not always completely overt. I don't think. Sometimes it's little subtle things that somebody might say or ways that they behave. Um, And then it makes you question yourself. And I think somebody with 
qualities that we like to grow and and celebrate, like being self-aware or self-reflective, you know, might cause you to look within and say, well, what did I do? What am I bringing to the table? And so what could somebody, if they were saying, am I a toxic person? What am I doing? What might you look for if you're asking yourself that question? There's this um, thing that I ask a lot of people to do, especially in couples therapy or with, um, you know, parent-child dyads or whatever. You know, in perhaps preschool or something where you were given long strips of paper and they told you to make a ring out of it, a paper chain is what they would call it. And you would take a strip of paper, make a circle, put another circle together. And so you're making a chain. Am I explaining that correctly? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So assume it's all one color. You know, you've got all yellow strips of paper and you're making yellow paper chain. At some point, the color changes. And who was responsible for, for changing that color from yellow to blue? Um, who said the word? Who changed the temperature in the room? Who had the tone? Who had the look? Who ignored who? Um, somebody changed that color. And being able to reflect back to that moment can help you see, like, was that you? Were you the one who was doing one of those uh-huh, uh-huh, while you're scrolling on your phone? And so your partner got really mad at you and you come in therapy saying, my partner exploded on me again. Well, what were you doing first? Who changed the color? Does that make sense? It does. I can see I that's an interesting um, way to look at it because it really focuses on the behavior. I could see that some people might say, well, I was scrolling on my phone because I'm so sick of their blah, blah, blah. And so I just tune out during these fights. I could see it getting complicated. Yeah, right. And having this, like you said, self-aware, you know, again, if you're going to go to therapy and look in the mirror, I think you're the bravest person in the whole world. And that's, that's all you got to do is be willing to look in the mirror. You know, if you go to therapy and only talk about the toxic people in your life, you're not really doing any self-growth. Okay. Well, that's, I think that's a great, simple um, way to look at it too. So you, you talked about something earlier that I wanted to ask about, which is, you know, we're sort of identifying toxic people by the way that they behave, but just to, just to, again, not totally dismiss people or write them off um, and have a little bit of understanding of the reasoning, why might some people develop toxic behaviors? Right. I, I have a hard time believing that anybody is all bad. Um, it's really hard when you've been a therapist as long as me and you've heard so many stories um, about the whys, W-H-Y. Um, I agree. So, you know, there's a part that, you know, you you say, well, you know, this person is so narcissistic because they're stunted at seven because they're, you know, family life was this way. You know, there's always the because, 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 and then there's understanding, um, but when you're in a relationship that is optional and you don't have to be in that relationship and that person is toxic because of how they're making you feel and they're making you feel bad or drained or less than or unworthy or any of those feelings that might not be necessary and that it's only with that person type of thing, um, then maybe they're that way, just who cares? 
and you can just move on and they, they've got to go figure out their own stuff. So this is something that I've seen many clients struggle with when they're, um, especially in relationships, um, when it's a, you know, more of a, it's not a family member. So kind of a, I've entered into this relationship. It's a choice. Um, and really struggling with this. I know that this is unhealthy relationship. I know that there's toxic behavior. I don't feel good, but I love them. My job is to support them. I want to help them grow. I want to be there for them. You know, I don't want to just abandon them. And what do you say to people who are struggling with that? I have, I have my favorite answer. I say, you need to get the word can't tattooed on your hand. And every time you say they won't do this or they won't do that, or why can't they just, why can't they just, why can't they just, you just have to look at your hand and say, can't, they can't, they can't do it. And that's maybe the, that like grieving cycle and the last stage of grief is acceptance. Um, You have to kind of go through your denial and your anger and your bargaining and all those stages of grief to know at the end of the day, they can't. And until they prove to you different, you just have to know that. So you do what you can, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in this too, you know, especially with couples, I say, you need to believe you tried everything before you're going to, you know, end a marriage or let's say, or whatever, believe you tried everything or you will have perhaps regrets. But um, on the other hand, I'm not fighting harder for your relationship than the two of you are. Um, And if you can't make it work, then you can't. Um, It just is. And no matter how many times you say, well, I'll, you know, I'll make this compromise and I'll make that compromise. That's wonderful. If there's a, a mutual agreement that you're both growing and making changes, but not when it's just one sided. That's so not fair to yourself. So it sounds like you're saying after giving it, giving it some try that there's a certain point where you just have to accept this person's not capable, let's say at this time of making the change and it's best for you to move on because you don't want to spend your whole life waiting for them. And I don't think people change unless they have to, you know, you, you hear the whole, like, um, let's say the, the woman leaves the alcoholic husband, you know, just for an old fashioned stereotype. Mm -hmm. And then he gets sober, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, people don't change until change makes them change in a lot of ways. You have to like shake it up to get change. And so just waiting around for that change or doing the, you know, I always draw a circle in the air. I'm like, we're doing the circle again. <laughs> you know, here we go. Mm-hmm. And how many times can you keep doing the same circle thinking it will be different? Um, as a therapist, sometimes it's hard because I may see the end of the road pretty Pretty clearly, you know, mm-hmm. I'm willing to be wrong. I'm willing to adjust my views, but um, I can't see it before the people in front of me are ready. My role is to ask the questions for their clarity and um, for them, they, you know, you've, you've got to talk yourself into it, like why this is worth it to you, why this is self-respecting, why this is something that is in your best interest. And if you can sell me on those answers, I'm, you know, I'm team whoever that person is. But if you can't answer that, then, you know, I'm so sorry, honey, what are you doing? (laughs) You know, one thing that I also 
feel is important to make a distinction on is, you know, to your point that I think we're dealing with things at large too, not just dealing with relationships, but jobs or, or whatever, that people don't tend to make changes unless things get really bad or they kind of are forced to. Um, we can quite, we can tolerate quite a bit. And um, so, yeah, you know, hoping that your partner who going back to the alcoholic is not really addressing their alcoholism. It's causing a lot of issues in the relationship. I think some people may be at this kind of this precarious point where they aren't really ready to leave the partner. They recognize that it's bad. And so they're like, well, I'll make some change so that they'll change. And I feel like one of the things that I work with clients a lot is you can't make the change hoping that they're going to change. You have to make the change for yourself. So you're trying to almost manipulate the situation that way. But if you're dealing with the person who's not wanting to change, you can't kind of force the situation, hoping the outcome will be that they will then turn things around. That might happen, but... Toxic person is a mastermind at getting people to accommodate them. <laughs> you know, that's their goal. And then when you when that person doesn't accommodate, then they're going to go be a victim and, you know, tell everybody else how you caused a problem for them. You know, that's more of the toxicity, uh, the ripple effects of somebody who is not celebrating you, looking out for you, cares about your best interests, um, you know, like going back to the bandmate. Um, but more so, you know, then is, oh, you know, Jessica got so angry when we wouldn't do her part. And mm -hmm. now like, we can't even have practice today. You know, when that person is the one who made you cry or, you know, because they shut you down or something. I think there's a theme here in what we're talking about when we're describing toxic persons, which is, and again, I'm not this isn't to apply a clinical diagnosis to somebody, but I think the quality of narcissism, it seems like somebody who's toxic is really so set in their experience that, and everything is perceived and positioned around their experience that, and, and that's kind of what you're speaking to that. It hasn't make you feel like you're not heard that your feelings aren't taken, yeah. you know, seriously. Think of that word empathy, right? Like, trying to teach empathy to adults is such a, like I'm literally putting my hand in their brain and rewiring it to teach some empathy. <laughs> you know, like it's really, uh, some people just have such a hard time with it. I also believe it goes back to, you know, again, probably some childhood trauma, mm -hmm. probably, you know, not to overuse the word even just legit. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, complex stuff that had gone on where they may not have had much themselves. Um, when I think of narcissism, I think of, you know, the great Wizard of Oz who, when he comes out from behind his big, you know, scary, or big, powerful, you know, voice, he's just a little old man. Yeah. And that is a narcissist so afraid that you're going to find out who he is. Um, that's That's the part where you can hopefully reframe what the toxic person is doing to you and making you feel like, and more so figure them out. And I've got, I've, I've figured you out. I've got your number. I know what you're up to. How do you deal with a toxic person you can't exactly escape? So thinking about a family member, for example, how do you deal with that? You may have to see them at least every once in a while. Yeah, I know. And the boundary word and all that. And, 
it's so hard. It's so hard. I think, um, you know, there's a word in therapy that people use about like radical acceptance. Like you have to radically accept that this is how they are and this is how they're going to make you feel. And um, you just got to have ownership over it. And, or, you know, you're in charge of your own feelings, I guess, you know, this is how they want are going to try to make you feel, I should say, this is how they are. And this is how they'll try to make you feel. And I don't know, it still hurts your feelings. You know, there's like still this little part of you that wants them to be different and then go back to the word can't. And it's, it's, um, it's a journey. Sometimes you have to go through over and over again, especially if you just wish that they were different, you know, you just do. To what you're saying there, I, one of my favorite uh, therapy uh, phrases is that reasons are not, there's a reason, but it's not an excuse. So you can kind of understand, well, there may be a reason people, someone is behaving that way, but it still doesn't excuse the behavior. It doesn't excuse the rudeness. It doesn't excuse the insensitivity that's going on. You know, I'll often, we'd like to think that mature, emotionally mature adults are capable of having conversations, of hearing each other. That's what we're all trying to work towards and grow towards. But some people just don't get there. And I feel like when somebody is not able to have a conversation, despite your best efforts, and you can tell me what you think of this, but my feeling is that you then have to just kind of go through behavioral things. So you set the boundaries. You may say either you, if they're trying to text you constantly and, and get you riled up, you don't try to talk them out. It's bothering me that you text me all the time. It doesn't seem to change anything. So at a certain point, you just don't text them back that day. And you start to show them rather than tell them what you're going to accept. Yeah. How can you get control over the situation versus being controlled by them? You know, definitely. And those little wins in your own head can go a long way and help you not feel beat up by the time you walk out the door of that holiday dinner. Um, just the, I'm going to come, I'm going to stay for this long. Um, I already know they're going to make a comment about, you know, me filling up my plate so much again. And, um, you know, how, how healthy I must look, you know, or whatever the comments that our families love to make. And then, um, know it, leave, and you are not hit over the head with any surprises. Um, there's that, or, you know, or there's the assertiveness piece, you know, there's, there's passive, there's aggression and that middle word in between the two are assertiveness of, you know, appreciate your comments once again, but didn't ask for them. <laughs> right. And I think, you know, there's a difference between getting involved in a head for head showdown with somebody of words and saying, that's not okay that you said that to me. That was rude. Don't say that to me again. And just shutting it down. And then you don't kind of get to that place with them. You're not joining them, but you're letting them know that is not okay with me. Or even just, you know, politely asking for clarification. I'm sorry. Were you asking if I was still hungry? I wasn't sure what you were getting at. You know, just the clarification questions of owning it. You're in charge. You are always in charge of who's going to make you feel what way. How do you deal with when you're trying to set these boundaries? How do you deal with the guilt sometimes people feel on setting boundaries? You know, my dad is a, I'm thinking of a client. My dad is, has severe problems with alcohol and I love him fiercely. He's my, you know, we were so close when I was little, but I feel so guilty. He's not bringing good things into my life right now, but I feel so guilty. I know he wants to talk to me. He's my dad. I love him. How do you, how do you cope yeah. with that? 
It is an ongoing struggle. You know, I, I often will say you are not responsible for their feelings. You're responsible for your own. Um, it's still hard. I mean, I think we all still feel that responsibility when we make people feel the way we can empathize with, because we have empathy, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, so if you have a boundary with your dad and you feel like that makes him lonely and alone, feel lonely and alone, well, you know how that feels and that sucks. So you don't want to make someone you love feel that way. But on the other hand, what's your choice? Your choice is going up through the, you know, tornado again and getting your roof torn off your house and, um, and then having to fix it all after they leave. So these are your two choices. You either have your boundary and perhaps you give your parents some feelings about it, or you go through that tornado and get your roof torn off. (laughs) And it's a hard situation because either way, you kind of lose a little bit, right? You're not getting the relationship with your dad that you want, but you also can't be going in the tornado. And so it's just kind of coming to terms with that too, which is so, which is really painful. It's not, there's never an easy answer. It's yeah. really, really hard. I think especially as, you know, for, especially for kids of alcoholics, but even just when you, when you thought a relationship was going one way and then it ended up going another and it's the, it's the grief, but it's also the, you know, if I just try harder, it will be different, you know, and it's, it's that whole belief system again and, and figuring out how can you just be around people that don't make you think about how difficult the relationship is? You know, when can a relationship be easy and also the best relationship you've ever had? I think this is where, you know, I'm, I'm just really empathizing with somebody who may be listening to this and connecting with some things that are being said, but there's still could be a lot of uncertainty. Well, is this the case in this relationship or, you know, and, and I would, I would say that, you know, if you are, if you are able to, it can be really confusing. And I think this is where outside help can help. It can help you to figure out your feelings, to give you feedback on what's going on in these relationships, to explore it with you. It's something that, um, you know, if you're able to not go through it alone, to, seek out therapy or help or, or something like Al-Anon or something like that for talking about alcoholism or, um, I mean, when you've heard such contradictory negative comments that were pretty passive your whole life, and then you hear it from someone you're in a relationship with, you start wondering if it's just, am I just oversensitive? Right. Exactly. I always make such a big deal about everything. Ah, you know, and there's that overused term gaslighting and, you know, all of that. And, you know, you just don't know what to believe. And um, sometimes when you just say it to a therapist and you watch their face, <laughs> then you get to, you know, see like, oh, this right. was a deal. You know, like sometimes I'll be, you know, someone will say like, you know, and then of course, you know, they say this and I'll be like, assholes. And they'll be like, (laughs) you know, and they're like, wow, yeah, I guess, I guess so. Yeah. Right. Right. Know it. And so just getting that clarity, or maybe you are being oversensitive and maybe you do need to, you know, roll with it. Who knows? But getting that clarification from somebody who only, wants you to feel good about yourself is, you know, a good place to get it from. Um, You questioning yourself, I think is a really healthy thing. If you just want to know, 
Is it me? Is it someone else? And then that's your first clue that something's off. I just need to figure out what. Yeah, I like I love that. So if, if you're if you're even asking the questions, then that's a little bit of a signal, and and get some support with it because it can be so confusing when you're dealing with people who are really quite good often at being confusing or making you feel manipulated or making it feel like it's your fault. Let me so let me ask you this because again, thinking about musicians where this is a place where people are entering these, you know, when we're thinking about a band, they're, they're entering these groups. And so you've got this working relationship with some other people. It's a creative relationship. There's lots of ideas. There's not a lot of structure. It's a self-governed group. And um, there's also, you know, I have found not to overgeneralize, but in the, in the music world, there's a lot of mental health issues there's often uh, substances play a big role in the in the music field and industry, even just going to a show and playing the bars and that kind of thing. And so one of the things that I'm wondering, and the example that I was thinking of, because this would be a particularly tough, I think, is, you know, what if you've got a band member, for example, who brings these amazing creative ideas, they're full of charisma, they're full of energy, but they're also really toxic. And so you're kind of like, they bring so much to this band and they're really in a huge, important part of what we're doing here. But also I can't stand working with this person. I can't, they make tours miserable sometimes, or they make me feel terrible. What do you do in a situation like that? Um, That's a great question because I think everybody wants to feel celebrated, right? And feel like they're an integral part, like a really important part of the group, integral, and that they are just necessary and good and it wouldn't be the same without you. You know, everybody wants to feel that way, no matter what situation you're in, like you're a very valued and necessary part of this community. Um, The other part of it is that everybody wants empathy. Everybody wants to be told like, you killed it today. Like you were great. You, wow. Like when you came in, I was worried that you looked sad, but you lit up the stage or whatever it was. And just sort of being seen. I, that that's maybe like, you know, a little bit of an older thing, but everybody wants to feel that way that Mm -hmm. they're seen inside and out. And that um, if you are seen by your bandmates, you might warm up to them. So can you, can a toxic person be kind? Can a toxic person come around? Can they have empathy? Yeah. But they're going to require way more work on your end of you giving them validation, you giving them empathy, you maybe reframe them into a little child. And how would you, get that little child to cooperate with you um, and talk to them that way in a way, but that's sometimes a way to win at their own, at their game, you know, to get them to do, to manipulate them to, you know, kill them with kindness, that kind of a thing. If, if you don't want to disrupt the vibe you guys have going on stage. So kind of trying some things out, trying some approaches we were talking before about setting boundaries and, you know, when you're talking about think of them as a child, I think that that goes back to what I was thinking where you sort of have to set behavioral boundaries, you know, rather than having a a conversation with them, a a talk is probably not going to be productive. So 
give it a shot. At the end of the day, though, if they're just causing too much disruption, it's not fun anymore. Right. But remember, the great wizard wanted to be told he was great. You know, so that goes a long way. It, you know, it really does. And and hopefully, you know, a great performance translates into that the rest of that night. Um, you know, you throw in some substances, you throw in depression, you throw in all that, you know, you can't really expect consistency the next day and not even in a toxicity way, just in a other reasons way. Um, but when it all comes down to it, if you guys are, you know, vibing and making a great memory together, then the smiles go a long way. Okay. Okay. Let's see. Um, I think that was kind of it for the the questions I had. Was there anything that you wanted to add on the subject? Um, I asked my teenage son, you know, tell me how you know somebody's toxic. Mm-hmm. He started and he said, um, if they don't celebrate my achievements and they are competitive about it or bring me down or tell me it's not important, then I know that they're toxic. And I thought that was an interesting way of looking at it. I don't know that I necessarily would have broken it down that quickly, but I thought it was worth chiming in with. That's great. That's great that he knows that. (laughs) Well, like we were saying, um, you know, definitely encourage anybody who may be struggling with somebody in their life or questioning some relationships or situations that are in to seek some support because it can be so confusing. And Lynn, can you tell us a little bit about your, your practice as a therapist? Yeah. 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 Happy to. Um, I am in private practice. I was doing all sorts of different social work jobs throughout the city of Chicago and then started my own practice where I was alone until, until COVID. (laughs) And then, um, when COVID came around, I was, um, I think almost everybody I've ever seen came back and more, and I refused to supply dead ends to people. So, I brought selected carefully a few associates to join me. And my goal is that when I get calls or emails now to always have an opening for somebody, I think that's really important that if you're going to be brave enough to reach out that you can see a therapist. Um, So I have some really quality people who work with me. Um, We work with pretty complicated people, but I think I mean, I'm complicated. You're complicated. We're all, we ask a lot of questions. We put together puzzle pieces and, Um, I think we do really good work. Thank you so, so much for your time today and for all your thoughts. It was really great talking with you. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I had a lot of fun, so thanks. Okay, I want to thank Lynn Zachary for her time today and her thoughts as we tried to work through what exactly do we mean when we say toxic person. I hope you guys are doing well. Visit musictherapypodcast.com for other episodes and upcoming events. Music Therapy is hosted by Jessica Risker produced by Sullivan Davis of Local Universe, and engineered by Joshua Wentz in Chicago. Talk to you guys next week. Peace and love until I see you again.